great economist John Maynard Keynes once wrote of the foolish things a man thinking alone can come temporarily to believe. Fortunately, I did not have to think alone. And neither do we. Welcome to Cetris Never Paribus, the history of economic thought podcast, where all other things are never equal. So we're back with the second episode with Cleo, Bianca, Tatiana, Maria, and Justine, all existing or old members of the Valras Barito Center in Lausanne. If you didn't listen to part one, I recommend pausing this episode and listening to part one first. This time we will hear about what they like and dislike about their work and about any regrets they may have had about their choices or trajectories. <clears throat> okay, so third question, what do you love about your career? Everything. No, um, no, that's a joke. Uh, there is. <laughs> um, I love the fact that I got paid to read books, write, and talk to interesting people. I think um, this is the best. Uh, I would do it for less money. I think um, <laughs> than I'm paid, and I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, um, so. Yeah, I think this is amazing. The content of the job is amazing. Um, and I love uh, the idea also that I can organize my time the way I want. Um, I love that my my career. So it's a, for me, first, it's a very weird word to say my career. I think it's something that I recently been asked in English. In French, I could never say ma carrière. It's just, just I don't know why. Um, but it's... Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a job that uh, if you like it, we are very privileged to be able to 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 do it. Um, and I love the um, the fact that I've been able to do it in different culture, in different places, in different countries. Um, so I did my PhD in France. I did my first um, experience as a researcher in in Switzerland, which was absolutely great. Uh, And I went to the UK and now I had a a position in Italy. And um, it's been a bit difficult to navigate all the different way people are doing um, research uh, and teaching. Um, But I think it has been really, really interesting to be able to Um, see it in different contexts and that's really traveling because I have lived in all those places Um, and I think this is one aspect to my career that I didn't expect it to do at the beginning I didn't think like I was going to be outside of France actually and now I cannot see myself going back to France so um, that's I think that's the main yeah the idea that I could read books and talk to people as a job and (laughs) that I can do it in different places. I think this is a very, this what I love about it. I like many things. (laughs) We are incredibly lucky to have time to study, to ask questions. I wish many more people had this opportunity. When I started my thesis in 2011, I came with a crazy urge to read a lot of books because of the amount of reading required in graduate school or working alongside your study, you can feel a bit of reading frustration. And when you have time to read everything, you would have liked to read. It's an incredible moment of freedom. And then the research work invites us to venture everywhere and the richness of political science sometimes push us toward unknown and very distant horizons, like the theory of recognition of the philosopher Axel Honneth in the case of my object of study. I love the adventurous spirit of research and teaching and at the UNIL, where I assist in teaching the history of political ideas, I meet a lot of very adventurous young people with a desire to read new things and to experiment with relationship to knowledge. 
and I, I like university because it is a place where the passing of time is preserved from commercial logics. You can still read things for the pleasure of reading and you sharing them. And I, I love so much. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the idea of, of an adventure. I realized quite quickly that it was a like, but this is my, you'll, you'll, you'll understand my taste in literature. I see it more as a detective story, but it, but it, for me, that's an adventure because I love reading um, detective stories. And it is that kind of you, you, and you're on your own, right? It's this adventure where you, you're, you're, you're navigating completely on your own and you have the choice to go either down that road or the other road. Mm. And, yeah. So the third question is, what do you love about your career? Um, I think the thing that I love mm-hmm. the most in my career is the that I have the feeling that I'm always learning. I'm always learning because I I have to uh, explore more and new literature um, about my own research, but I. I really love these other spaces, such as um, seminars, where I I can hear others' research agendas, and sometimes in in these spaces, uh, all the participants um, must uh, comment um, the pres- um, the person uh, work. So I really love these spaces and also um, the seminars where um, more advanced research are presenting so I that's the thing I like the most. Mm. I'm afraid I mostly love writing. And you're afraid? You were afraid that you... <laughs> Did you say I'm afraid I mostly write writing? Uh, well, Do you think you it's know, a bad thing? <laughs> It, it's a bit of a vice, you know. It, it, it also, it's one of the very few things I can do. Uh, I'm quite good at crochet, but apart from that, basically writing is, <laughs> is my best shot at anything. Um, th- there are other things, I, so I really enjoy it, is, is, is almost a compulsion, and I suppose I could write about absolutely anything, you know, indefinitely. Um, I, I've always loved teaching as well. Uh, I mean, obviously, like everybody, I find uh, relentless teaching uh, for hours uh, uh, in a very sort of restricting schedule, tiring, and I don't like examining and so on. But I've always loved the relation, especially I've always actually preferred teaching undergraduates than graduates. Um, I'm... I just enjoy doing it. Uh, I suppose if they taught history or political thought in kindergarten, so in universities, I would probably love doing that. Well, I like that response that you like writing. I don't think a lot of people do. <laughs> no, I, I think actually, interestingly, not a lot of people like teaching very much, especially teaching undergraduates. Uh, and I really enjoyed it because I enjoyed the exercise of making something, especially as the decades went by, so the students one got had less and less background in conventional historical learning. So, you know, you get to the stage where you're asking them, children, do you know who Napoleon was? You know, ever heard of the French Revolution and that sort of stuff. But I, I really like the exercise of making things simple. And I like the exercise of making things, I suppose, less boring than possible. Um, mm. it's true I, I definitely sense that as an undergrad that there were not well I went my undergrad was at a teaching university so there the professors did a lot of teaching and so you had to like teaching and if you to stay but then when I got to my master's it's true that you could sense who enjoyed the teaching who didn't um, and it was up, I thought it was actually quite upsetting in my PhD that most people there decided they didn't like teaching but they'd never, they'd never, they hadn't even done it yet. <laughs> Whereas I went there knowing full well that I really enjoyed teaching. That was the thing that I could do because I was lucky enough to teach already when I was an undergrad. 
uh, and in teaching, doing seminars and so on, not, you know, full and lecture. I, I and, suspect uh, that the, the attitude to teaching is very much a natural thing, like, you know, being able to sing. Then, of course, there's a lot you can learn. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, universities have also teams of specialists that tell you how to mm-hmm. employ certain techniques and how to do this and how to do that. But I think that at the basis, there is really a kind of natural impulse mm. to wish to explain things mm. like you would to your children or you know to mm. anybody really um yeah and i wonder I, I, you're not the first person to have said that to me one of the best professors i've ever had um who, who's still kind of a mentor to me today says the same thing he thinks that people have it or or they don't um and and there's a uh, i mean i don't i don't yeah, I, th- I think I you mean, can learn it a lot. that sounds a bit silly because it suggests, well, you know, then you don't do anything to improve yeah. your teaching and so on. Which, of course, is false because there are things you learn from experience and uh, mm. there's also some... Uh, I, I suppose history is a fairly simple subject, but I imagine that people who have to teach in labs or, you know, uh, special procedures and so on have a more difficult task in... in um, but I think that the desire to explain, and um, I, I'm still very touched, and sometimes Lausanne is a fairly small town, as you know. I, I meet people I can't absolutely recognise, and mm. you tell me, oh, but you taught me, and, oh. you know, I remember this and I remember that, and maybe they, you know, they work in a shop or in an office or whatever. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think that's quite touching. What do you love about your career so far? Mm. Um, I think what I love is uh, talking with colleagues and going to conferences. Because in academia you have this uh, amazing possibility to talk about super interesting things with people who know a lot about many things. Mm. So, yeah, this for me is very motivating um, and also uh, conferences conferences because they're I mean that gives the meaning that gives the meaning of the job mm. I think yeah sharing the sharing um, being surprised but by what the others say mm. do uh, yeah mm. again these connections basically I think for me what I like in general in my job is connections with people and intellectual exchanges. Mm. Uh, that's, yeah. yeah, that's what makes me feel like I know why I do what I do. And yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's not also su- so surprising in our field where we write, especially as a PhD student, Mm-hmm. When you really are, you're supposed to be working on your own because you're supposed to prove yourself as a researcher on your, you know, an independent researcher. You're so much of what we do is so lonely mm-hmm. that you're, and even if you may be introvert, some social connection is super necessary yeah, yeah, yeah. because that's the definition of humans. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that that's something that you would like the most because it's also the thing that you get less of, right? Yeah, I think that's what I would dislike about about the job for now. Is, right, which is my next question. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. but I know because that, that's yeah. the answer I would have given, basically. This. So what you dislike most about your career is the fact that there's not enough social connection. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't like the um, very solitary part of the job mm. when it is imposed, of course, because we all like staying there and reading a book quietly. <laughs> and... and, and I don't know, thinking for yourself and all. But, yeah, I think it's a really solitary job. Uh, and that that's heavy for me. Um, especially during the thesis, because a thesis is just a huge project you have to master on your own from the beginning to the end. So you can have connections with many people, discussions, etc. But at the, at the end of the, the day, you're doing that on your own, mm. in front of your paper, mm. and it's never also something I don't like is that it's really long. The project is too long. In a it way. feels never ending. Yeah, it feels never ending really, um, because it's not like you have steps and then 
you're done with the paper and then with another. It's just a super long project. Mm. So that's difficult. I don't know if... That's also something I like, in a way, because I find it fascinating to have to master such a huge amount of things, uh, create such a big reflection, big, big system in a way. So uh, I think it's really interesting, but yeah, it's too big at the same time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the solitariness is. I I especially found it um, debilitating in my thesis. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't feel that way anymore. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah I, I... Well, I don't feel that way anymore. I definitely <coughs> felt like that at some parts of my book writing last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which I don't want to do a project like that again anytime soon. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to finish that and then wait a yeah, few years yeah, before yeah. I ever do that again. Yeah, yeah. But there, but the, but there, you have a choice after your PhD. Mm. You know, you have a, you have a choice yeah, whether yeah. you want to During do the more P- things. During the PhD, you don't. You have don't a have a choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially not in our field. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think debilitating is the right word because really it's so empowering empowering to write and work with someone else and talk with someone else because that's, that's, what, that's what gives the energy, at least to me. I know some people get their, their energy from other being things, alone yeah, yeah. or other things, but at least to me, what gives the energy is this part, this aspect of sharing and, yeah, creating together, creating together, wondering about things together. Um, and I think that should be the center of our job because that's what we're good at. We're not only good at thinking alone, we're, th- we're good at discussing, asking the, go- the good questions mm. and trying to, answers, to answer the other's question. Yeah. So I think that's one of our biggest competences, uh, abilities. Yeah. And what we do in our teaching quite a and bit, yeah. Yeah. More. It should be easier to find those spaces yeah. of communication. But the problem is that we're so specialized. Yeah. So specializ- over-specialization is also a problem for that because you cannot talk deeply about your, 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 your topic with mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah, and that, I mean, I think that's the case in most social scientists, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, I mean, I think that's why my writing group, why I've continued it personally and why it's people actually come to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because there's, like, you're making a, t- a solitary task into a somewhat more collegial task, mm-hmm. a somewhat more communitarian mm-hmm. task. Mm-hmm. doesn't change the fact that we're writing on our own yeah half of the time we meet but we're, we're discussing what we're doing and just voicing mm-hmm. those concerns or things we're doing helps us think about what we're doing yeah yeah and sometimes the others have insights or other questions or something like that on on a daily basis more or less i mean or on something very yeah, très quotidien, je veux dire, très, très... Mm. Yeah, the things that come up often... On, ev- on, on the everyday mm. uh, discussion, because, like, at lunch, you're not always going to talk about the, the, the content of your work. You don't want to bother everyone all the time. But when you have a, a few minutes for that, and you can voice things, you also can have um, insights about very common problems or um, yeah about your current problems basically mm. about the the problems you're facing right now in front of your your writing in front of your paper in front of whatever mm. these these problems that are not big theoretical issues but mm. also practical problems mm. um, yeah and that's not something you, <coughs> you 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 may have some of that help from your director thesis director as a PhD student but even myself who had an extremely hands-on thesis director those everyday problems was not something that I went to mm-hmm. her about and yeah. was not something that was not part of her 
yeah, that's not part of the job description as a supervisor. At least that's mm-hmm. not how I understood it. And so those kinds of issues are real. Mm-hmm. And every PhD student needs yeah. those. And, and, and then when you get after your PhD, you definitely don't have that kind of, you know, institutional support to go. Yeah, it's probably even worse after yeah. the PhD because when you're a PhD student, you have these <laughs> the, the the excuses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm a little small child. Please, please help me. Help, help please help me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but after that, you're done. You're supposed <laughs> you to, to be... just know everything. Yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah. everything, <laughs> so you don't have the right to ask, to ask questions. Um, what's the thing you dislike? I think the thing I dislike is that as we have a lot of independence in our in our own work, the daily uh, work questions, I feel that I have to to solve it by my by myself. So sometimes I I'm feeling lost or I have this um, insert uncertainty about um, the fact of going of being in the right way of doing of yes um yes this is yeah the the fact that you're your it's your project right so you have to navigate that on your own exactly. and those decisions are quite difficult and and you're in the second year now yes, right so it's, it's still pretty new right? yes i'm um, like quite in the middle of my second year so yeah so it's quite it's recent. still that period of feeling rather that, that your project's still pretty open um exactly. you've done one interview for now you'll do several more and and those the decisions that we have to make the, the small decisions as and, and, and the big decisions we have to make are, are pretty scary at the beginning. I think more than at the end. Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't know if I'm doing well. If, mm-hmm. if I'm in the right way or not. If, uh, if, uh, the, um, of course, I have to send to, to my advisor um, documents. But in the middle of one meeting and another... There are so many little uh, decisions to make that I have to 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 make by my in my own that it's this I have this feeling of uncertainty all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm right or not. <laughs> it's not the type of job that you you have a feedback. Um, right after you are doing something you need like a lot of days or hours of work to have something that you can maybe discuss with someone or to show or to send to someone else so this feedback is is not a cost constant but you need a lot of time in between one one feedback and another and this um longer periods are difficult for me because I sometimes as I start to feel this uh, yes this this feeling of I don't know just mm. just like that I don't know and it can be quite um paralyzing exactly. right can it can actually get you to um not not move forward yeah and it, I guess it's this quite human characteristic that we need reassurance. Like everybody, everybody does. And some may need it more than others, but we all need it. And I think we, again, especially need it when we're starting out on learning how to do something, which is what you're doing and learning to be a researcher. You need it more. Um, yeah. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't either, I wouldn't be... Um, like I think if I if the if there's one thing I would have done differently in my PhD is I would have asked more questions to my supervisor. I would have asked her way more. Um, because I I tend to not ask because I assume that I should know. Yes. And that's not true. Like how should I know? How how would I know? Maybe that's 
that's a good uh, point because sometimes I yes I I prefer to spend more time doing maybe a task that is not that difficult or that is not supposed to be difficult because I don't want to ask him or I'm uh, I'm afraid or I'm uh, I'm ashamed about this question that I that I have and I I have the feeling that is maybe a very basic one so I prefer to stay alone with this this interrogation instead of going knock at his door and say do you have a moment mm. I have a, a question to ask you yeah and especially here because we're actually quite a lot here we're physically here a lot and it's much feels less intimidating than sending an yes. email doesn't it yes yeah. to send an email I think it's very intimidating just to 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 ask for example I'm not sure about this uh, the name of this author that you mentioned when yeah. we talk or I'm not sure ab- about this little thing mm. so yes the the relations in person are quite more easy mm. and less intimidating yes. but it's very typical of academia you know we have this sense that we should just know everything and so it's very normal for you to think and and as I said I said you but this is I I, I struggle with this still today you know? mm. We just assume we should know, but actually, it's not a weakness not to know. Um, and and if we are, um, if we if we are finding things that we don't know, it means that we're learning again, which goes back to the the favorite part of this career, right? We are here to learn, right? We're not here to just know everything. So, what do you not like about your career? It's not that I don't like. That I have fear about the digital turn in the university. I'm worried about the increase of our digital tools in research, but also in teaching since COVID. And the pleasure I get from my teaching and research work really comes from the contact, the emotion of archival research, the natural discussion with students. And I feel very constrained on Zoom. I feel locked behind the screen. And we know the economic opportunity to integrate the digital in teaching. And it is not too easy to resist um, this trend, especially when you are like me and like you, Maya, from the generation that is trained in digital. You have to be able to say, I know how to do it, but I don't want to, and that it's not easy. Perhaps we can take, we can use some of the digital tools, right? Like marking online, for example, is something I do prefer, you know, handwriting. Although I think it's a bit sad that people don't write with their hands anymore, but it's, it's, it is easier to read text, right, mm-hmm. when you're marking. Um, I, I dislike the um, difficulty for everyone to get a job. Uh, I think, um, so I dislike it for me. I thought the job market was a, a very not nice moment. And I just got a permanent position just this year. Um, and I thought this would be a, an enormous relief, which it, which it is. Uh, but then you have to do the job, so you still have work to do. Um, but there is still a lot of people who don't have a job. And so there is part of the job, my job now, which is trying to help others to get a job. And I think, um, yeah, I'm not out of this mindset yet. And that means uh, uh, you spend a lot of time thinking about what you should do to get a job, uh, publishing, uh, and so this pressure to publish uh, and to publish well, I think um, is something that I find um, uh, difficult. Uh, I don't dislike the idea that um, uh, you have to write things, test your ideas, that they had to be contested, that they have to be uh, discussed. Um, the same way I think it's good that student can tell you or oh, teaching is great or your teaching is, is terrible. <laughs> um, so I don't um, um, dislike this idea. I dislike the organization and the structure of it in the labor market. 
and I've been bouncing in between two two I think type of system. One is like this very hierarchical administrative system, like in France and Italy, or very like competitive market like uh, system in the UK and the US, and both are terrible. Um, I think um, uh, terrible in the sense that I'm not sure they allocate the you know the people to the right job all the time. There is a lot of lags in terms of the the timing, the career. Um, I yeah. So th- this is an aspect I'm, I'm still recovering from, um, and uh, it put a lot of it has a lot of impact on the type of science you you or the type of knowledge you you're producing. That's for sure. Um, and you cannot write an interesting book if you just try to find a job every six months. Uh, so I'm out of it, but I think I need to recover from it. And I think a lot of people aren't, aren't, are not out of that. But what I'm sure now, and that I think this is a bit new, uh, students want, want more history of economics. I had, um, um, I was supposed to have 20 students. I had 70 the from the economics core undergrad um, student in standard department of economics want to um, um, uh, go to history of economic course and you need teacher of history of economics so not just people who just open a book on smith and think this is uh, just you know that there is a history of the 20th century there is a history of indian economics that my student loved there is so there is some uh, jobs and this is not because of um, um, demand for history of economic. It's the problem now is how to get uh, those departments hired someone uh, to do that stuff. It's one of the few fields that is um, uh, asked repeatedly uh, by 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 students um, um, to be on the curricula. So so I'm sort of hopeful about that uh, in a way. Uh, I don't know how we get there. Um, I also dislike, I think, very much uh, any hierarchical aspect that is very present in our profession, Um, whether it is uh, the way you should talk to some professor uh, and the way some people talk to students, assuming that uh, there is like, um, uh, yeah, a hierarchy where where it should not be. I'm not saying there is no hierarchy in this sense at all. Uh, I think you're supposed to be a teacher, so you're supposed to give them things, uh, and um, and but but I do think that there is um, um, yeah, assuming the other person uh, is also uh, a person like you, uh, I think is is important. And I've I've been seeing very different type of hierarchy recently. So in Cambridge, uh, where where relations are like you have those professor and uh, an army of precarious postdocs around them. Uh, the money resources are really um, based on uh, the precarious, the casualization of the work of many, uh, many people. And it's a very vibrant places, especially because of the people who are here for one, two years and trying to make the best for the career, or, but also in terms of thinking, uh, but it's exhausting. And in Italy, I think it's a, a slightly different type of hierarchy. Um, I was not I, I was not prepared for everyone calling me or all the students calling me professor, <laughs> but that's just, you know, me. Um, but there is like, I think, a lot of hierarchy in the relationship expected by the professor uh, um, uh, to, um, in that sense. Um, and so the status seems to be something very important. Um, and yeah, this this aspect in our field, I think, um, is uh, very clear in some specific, yeah, specific interaction. I do speak the same way to someone presenting a paper where it's a PhD student or professor or emeritus prof, uh, which means with respect and with interest in the work and giving the you know benefit of the doubt about the the approach and things um it doesn't mean it's the same work it's always uh but can be um you know some the quality quality is not linear with the status of the people um so yeah especially for a thing because i was 
raised an academy in Paris where the only hierarchical um, rule was like, you have a PhD, you don't have a PhD. And when you have a PhD, we all the same, basically. It's the same diploma. We suppose, okay, you ha we ha have experience. Uh, you don't, like the professor was telling that. Uh, and the idea is, as professor, we help you to get the PhD. So the idea is not to cripple you with work before that point. And then we just basically colleagues. So we need to organize things uh, in a certain way. Um, and so that was very clear that the only hierarchy I'm not sure what I think about it now, but the idea was like, once you have your PhD, you're the same, whether you're a professor or an assistant professor or a postdoc, um, you're supposed to do the same metier, um, uh, really the same work. Well, I certainly dislike power games within faculties, mm. which are of course like power games within any kind of competitive professional environment. I really dislike that, partly because I'm quite stupid about that dimension of, you know, I don't realise why people would want to hate me or, mm. on the other hand, flatter me. or So most of the time I'm completely unaware of what's going on. And um, in, I didn't much notice that in Cambridge because I was just a researcher and also the factor of history is enormous. It's, it has got about 100 staff and so you know some of the people I didn't even ever meet in my life but when I arrived in Lausanne this was the old system that has since been uh, but basically there was a conseil de faculté that every two weeks you know you would meet all your colleagues not just in your subject but of course like in political science it meant a psychologist a sociologist or whatever and it was extremely tedious um, you know, would incredibly violent. I mean, I, I was quite young at the time and I was struck by the sight of these, you know, elderly, as they looked to me, people hating each other with a ferocity that, uh, you know, seemed completely inappropriate to what the uh, issue at stake was, you know. Uh, this is not like a mafia struggle <laughs> or you're not going to... It's not to, life or death. <laughs> yes, it's not a life or death issue, but people would actually prosecute each other um, on very slight matters of procedure about appointments and so on. So that was a very disturbing discovery and certainly made it initially the relations within the faculty quite difficult for me because I... You know, it took me a very long time. As I say, I'm, I'm very obtuse about it. I never thought about these things. But my appointment, being a young woman coming from outside, was very much resented by some of the local, oh, really? whatever, uh, deserving colleagues. And, and uh, But of course, because I was a woman, it's quite interesting. Had I been a man, they would have made my life hell. As I was a woman, they couldn't exactly do that uh, that was your feeling yeah yeah, yeah that, that 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 was the impression that you know they would have exposed them to accusations of you name it you can easily imagine what uh, so they you know they didn't make my life difficult you didn't even notice say they were there but even now and then something came up that you know brought home to me the fact that there was all these kind of uh, Resentment for what seemed to me, I mean, I'm, I'm not an especially brave person. If I'm threatened with torture and death, I would probably think twice. But it seemed to me that the risk and the gain in such game was so irrelevant mm. that I couldn't understand why people would be prepared to put, you know, such energy mm. uh, or to be so cowardly about saying certain things, for example, or... It completely baffled me. Mm. But I suppose this is not, you know, typical of an academic environment. In fact, it's probably less difficult in the university where at least people cannot sack you, unlike, you know, a private company or... Um... Okay, let's get to the last question. Do you have any regrets in your um, career? Well, in a different word... Um, Without consideration of relevance, I would probably have studied classical languages. 
rather than philosophy and history. Um, when I was in high school, I really my best subjects were Latin and Greek, and I always assumed I would become a classicist, mm. which I never did because it didn't seem relevant enough. And uh, I mean, when I relevance, when I say relevance, I put it into brackets because Italy was at the time I'm talking about the mid seventies, late seventies a place where political confrontation was very harsh, as you know, and it involved, uh, you know, the uh, Institute of Philosophy in my original university, Università degli Studi in Milan, was basically emptied by the police every two weeks, the furniture was thrown in the uh, courtyard, and um, militant groups would beat each other up with iron bars, you know, between classes and so on. So, you know, this is even before we get on to the bombings and so or shooting. So it wasn't it wasn't Iran, but uh, it, it was quite yeah. It affects yeah. someone's choice yeah about would. what to do yeah. I think I regret not to have stopped uh, academy during a year before starting the PhD. Um, because I find it very very important to. You know, we are people talking about life, in a way. And I think at some point, if you've done very long studies like I did, before starting the PhD even, then you have stopped living, in a way. And you need to go back to life to remember what you're talking about. Or at least that's something I, I would have needed. Um, and it's better to do, to do it before the PhD because after the PhD, then time is counted for, for the job. Uh, mm -hmm. On the job market, you have like, okay, how many years after the PhD are you, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, so if you stop for doing, just to do something else completely different during a year, then that's going to be a problem for you. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I regret not to have taken a year off in order to explore uh, the things I'm talking about. Mm. Um, because we're a researcher who talk from a, a contemporary point of view we're talking from mm -hmm. now here um, and we need to remember this we need to remember where we're talking from to to be able to question the world the right way no matter i mean you can do that with fundamental research that's not the problem the thing i'm saying is that if you if you are very conscious of the reason why you wonder about a question, then you're gonna be able to formulate it and formulate your answer in a way that will talk to your contemporaneous. Mm. Uh, and I think that's very important not to forget that. So maybe taking some time to look look around, basically look around, and and stop because. We're doing this student life and then straight up directly into into academia. And and I think it's really necessary to stop and look around. Yeah. Just explore. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah, take part. Well, there is, <coughs> there is this idea that there, we're in the academic world and then there's this real world out there, right? And so one, one may define your, you know, summarize your point as you know, take a gap year from academia and work in the real world, which might be a bit of an exaggerated way to say it, but um, a lot less poetic than <laughs> you described it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so. but it's not just a gap year. I didn't want to say a gap year because it's not just to have fun or to stop no, and well, have a rest, you know. It's also to really inform your work. Mm. 
that's what I mean. That's more what I mean. Well, it's this is the way we think about gap years, but I, I think any kind of gap year is what you're talking about, but yeah. 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 But I see it as a part of the process. Yeah, yeah. As, the, as, the, as a part of the intellectual mm. process. Many people actually are involved in various kinds of activities out of academia, but being only there is also different, I'm sure. Um, only yeah. not observing yeah taking part taking part yeah, yeah. I, I mean I agree I think the, the experiences <coughs> I had you know quote unquote outside academia both after my school studies so at 18 and then after my masters were essential yeah and not just for not just as you said for like intellectual development but for maturity for personal development for um financial <laughs> yeah, reasons sure. uh for um uh, what's i gonna say mm, confidence uh, yeah lo- mm-hmm. lo- lo- lots of different things i don't yeah and i and i i'm i think it's quite upsetting that people think of gap year as you just said you know I agree because gap year has all these connotations mm-hmm. about them, and they normally come right after what we would call gap year in the UK. At least is after eighteen once you've done your, you know, secondary education. But um, and they have all these really really negative connotations when actually, you know, even if it is just you getting a job at a at a bar for mm-hmm. three months to save up money to travel around the world, that's a super useful yeah, educate yeah, yeah. like. You learn so much from that. I, mm-hmm. I don't see why people are so obsessed mm-hmm. with this idea that you have to, to get on your trajectory and that everyone looking at every CV is going to be like, oh, there's a year missing there, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because I was at a training last week um, where a, a professor who is very, very experienced in hiring professors, mainly in the Swiss system, and she said, look, if there's a gap, there's, there's a gap like most people have that mm-hmm. and you just have to find a you find a narrative that mm-hmm. that explains why you did it mm-hmm. and then it doesn't she was really which was the first time I've ever heard that so <coughs> optimistic about the fact that we're all atypical we all mm. have these but so I think but again that might be because of her that the, the maybe the narrative is changing I don't know so it's it's I, yeah, I think it's quite promising that you that that that's what you say is your one regret because it means mm-hmm. that that you're you were yeah that you, you were yeah in a way you you're not you're not going along those lines of we have to keep on the same yeah, yeah. well I think it's also change uh, similar to the the relation to work mm. we we mentioned before it's yeah the same, it links it's the linked. same mood yeah. in a way but um, I had I started having this feeling not before studying but after my, my the end of my study in philosophy because when you're like. 23, 24, and it's been years and years and years that you're studying philosophy, thinking about your experiences, um, trying to tidy everything, in, put everything in bo- into boxes, understand what you've lived and all. At some point, it starts to be, you know, empty research, empty reflections. And that's what I don't want. And that's the reason why I think it's important to take a step out and and remember why we're doing that. Because as academics working on this very direct path, we tend to forget why we do that. And that's not useless what we're doing. I, I think it's really useful on the contrary. Mm. And we are those people from formulating or at least contributing to formulate the ideas and the feelings and the analysis of our fellow people on the world at a specific moment of time. Mm -hmm. So we need to be in that time. Otherwise, we're just doing something abstract that we, even for ourselves, don't remember why we are doing it. Yeah, this in- intrinsic motivation needs to be there, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the it's, I'm quite new in this career. So maybe it's 
too early to know, but uh, I I thought about the thing that we just mentioned about the spaces to sh to share our questions or maybe our own work or our ideas. So maybe I should ask more or to look for more spaces to share my writings even if uh, I, I have just a small piece of, uh, of a text or just to find more spaces maybe with some, um, some colleagues, PhD students or postdocs to just have an informal discussion about my, my ideas maybe just to to present what I what I want to do um to answer this specific question or uh, to show an idea about a papers that a paper that I want to write and I think this is the the a privileged space to have feedback is the only way to have a feedback uh, and also it's important to have feedback from different type of persons and also because uh, within these spaces I think is the is the um, the way to to have best ideas also because if you if you stay alone with uh, with your own thoughts it's difficult to to have a a better idea, a refined idea, maybe it's it's the word or a, a good expression to, to say it. But I think yes to maybe after after this podcast I will try to to have to create new spaces with with people around me to share my 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 ideas about how to do my research maybe the one about taking seven years to write my thesis i regret not having managed to deal better with stress or lack of self-confidence but these are not things you learn at school and unfortunately i believe that everything depends on this especially the thesis which is a long-term project And I'm sad to see that people abandon their thesis work because they don't feel up to it. At UNIL, we are lucky to be uh, supported in stress management. And I have learned a lot of techniques over the last few years. And above all, I'm lucky to have a great director that encouraged me in my research work. And I don't regret it. Yeah, so there might be some some kind of idea that people think that one should finish a thesis faster, yeah. <laughs> but there's no point in yes. regretting it. Yeah. This is very difficult because you sent me this question uh, a little bit before just to think about, and I, I don't think I have, um, I had regrets and now they disappeared. Um, I had regrets about, um, How long did it take for me to um, learn how to write a paper? Uh, that was very long. Um, I thought I'd, I'd, I I had learned that I didn't. Um, and I've and in France especially, you you start writing those sort of essay, dissertation, long writing things very early on. So you you know how to write stuff basically, but writing a research paper. Uh, I think I learned that after my PhD and I had published research paper don't get me wrong but learning in the sense of uh, in a very specific sense in the sense of teaching someone how to write a paper so I think I, I realized that I know I, I knew how to you know approach a subject and uh, plan a, the writing process and the question and the methods I'm using when I was confronted with uh, co-authors uh, that was slightly uh, uh, where I was in a different position that, than, than um, where I had to take the lead basically on the writing. And so then you realize, um, so it's not really teaching someone else how to write. It's just like when I found myself in a 
uh, more of a lead on a paper, I had to uh, think more basically about how um, how to do that. And this took me a long time. And I used to think, oh, but, you know, if I had been invited to a Hope conference uh, when I was in my uh, last year of PhD, uh, I would have known that. If I had uh, written that before, I would have known that. Uh, but now I'm more like, you know what? It took me a long time, but uh, <laughs> I got there. And I guess this is a bit the same for the rest of my career. Um, I took specific, I, I took roads that were a bit slightly longer than I expected them to be, but also not really. Um, so, so it's, so yeah, I did two very long postdoc. Uh, uh, I stayed four years in, in the Centre Valas Pareto and three years in Cambridge. And then I now have, um, assistant professorship. So I didn't go straight away after the PhD on the job market in France uh, and and trying to find a job. Um, mm -hmm. I took risk in the sense that I really wanted to do postdoc. Um, I totally understand why uh, you would quit um, a teaching position to do a postdoc because a postdoc experience is very particular um, and you really have time to research when it's a good postdoc. Um, that means slightly longer than a year, uh, two year, two years, three years is perfect, I think. Uh, four years then you became too comfortable. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think there is like, uh, yeah, I, I don't regret, but uh, in the past I had regretted like, oh, I'm, I'm this age, I'm supposed to be at this stage of my career. Um, and then I realized, who said that and and I was not late at all and I, I mean according to my criteria um, but this is of course this is coming from comparison uh, with other people uh, with people in other field uh, and with this idea that in our field uh, you have to you know uh, have a permanent position and then become a professor at this age and blah blah, blah. Um, and so I don't I think at a point I Instead of regretting, I, I just sat down and say, okay, you know what? I don't even know if I will be in academia all my life. <laughs> so just, uh, you know, relax a little bit and um, try to know what you really want to do. And at that time, I was pretty desperate in terms of like, um, do, do I want a permanent job, actually? Uh, and I didn't apply to a lot of permanent job in my life. And I... And when I started applying, this was basically the last year, um, I was like, I cannot do that uh, for a long period of time because uh, I, I thought this was very hard. And then I realized how other people were in the situation since more time than I was, uh, what they were living. And I think this, this is, um, I could not have done that. And I would certainly have tried to find another job not in academia if I didn't uh, had this permanent position. Maybe I would have tried another year, but then, yeah. Um, but but that's, yeah, again, it's the same thing as we started with the discussion is like finding how you feel uh, about something rather than just uh, telling yourself, oh, I should be a full professor by the age of whatever. Uh, and I, yeah. This I'm not thinking like this anymore. Thanks again to Cleo, Bianca, Tatiana, Maria and Justine. Sharing is helpful and empowering. I hope you have learned as much as I did from these answers. These conversations made me especially realize that I need to ask more questions. I want to spend more time encouraging people to leave and come back to academia. I hope those listening who are feeling lonely feel empowered to reach out to someone to get some social connection, send a draft, ask for a Zoom call, join my writing group. Anyone interested, by the way, in joining my online writing group should email me or tweet me at mvsback. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode enough to come back for more. The featured music is called Knowing Nothing by Midair Machine and our intro features Paul Krugman at his Nobel Prize banquet speech in 2008. Thank you to Noble Media AB for giving us the permission to use the audio. Check out our website, cetrusneverparabus.net, for more information. 
Follow us on Twitter, Cetris, and Parabus, and listen to more episodes on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. In my time, Oxford and Cambridge tried to recruit women researchers quite desperately. That's probably how I got in because uh, I was a fellow of King's College and I remember we were less than 10 women fellow out of 110 fellows of the college. And I, I remember being addressed as sir by some servants at, at official dinners before the men sort of, you know, pulled themselves together and realised I was actually a woman. Um, so, you know, it was quite special. And, oh, and that significantly changed afterwards. So, you know, the push to recruit women in the end had some kind of impact, I suppose. Mm.